You're listening to Marketing News Canada, Canada's number one show featuring the brightest minds in marketing, PR, and digital advertising. Welcome to another episode of Marketing News Canada. I am so thrilled to introduce you to Robert Luke, PhD, who is the Chief Executive Officer of eCampus Ontario, which provides leadership to Ontario's Indigenous institutes, universities, and colleges promoting digital by design education, collaboration, and innovation. eCampus Ontario helps to inform and shape Ontario's post-secondary education system in consultation with sector stakeholders. Prior to his role at eCampus Ontario, Dr. Luke spent 10 years in executive management as Vice President Research and Innovation at George Brown College and at OCAD University. His expertise is in human-centered knowledge, media design, working at the intersections of education and information science to produce useful and usable technology to support education, health, and innovation systems. Robert, thank you for being here. Thank you very much for having me. It's awesome. So first thing I want to ask about, and I love this term that you wrote about, I read this article, and this is how I first got to know you, was micro-credentials are having their Napster moment. And first of all, I was like, oh man, another person that knows Napster, I, you know, a fellow <laughs> you know, in my age genre. And secondly, the, the article went on to just explain some great things. Can you, can you tell us what that means to you? Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I guess we're really dating ourselves when we talk about Napster. But Na- so Napster was a, an important moment in music. Uh, and up until that time, so late 90s, up until that time, if you wanted to consume music, you had to buy an album. And you could buy a 45. Now, we could say maybe the 45 is like the micro-credential version of the album, but pretty much had to buy an album, and that was it. I mean, people made mixtapes, and, you know, that was that was a really interesting metaphor for how people curate their own musical experiences. But when Napster came along, now Napster was a pirating website, but it is the case that most innovations, when they first hit the world, are not necessarily in their final form. Fast forward to now, Napster has reinvented itself as an XR company, actually. They do AR, VR. But they came along and they said, actually, you know what? You can stream music. You could pirate it, I guess, is the way to to think of it. And you could just download it. But they presaged streaming. They brought in a new era when ownership of the physical medium was dislocated from, in this case, the oral medium. Of course, when that happened, the record companies said, okay, well, we're going to... uh, we're going to put CDs out. We're going to, we have CDs already and they're going to affect something called digital rights management, which I think took a 14 year old in Finland about two minutes to crack. And of course it didn't work, but what we have now. So what happened after Napster is, you know, the Spotify's, the Pandora's, but most importantly, Apple and iTunes came along and said, you know what? You can buy one song and you can have all of your songs up and you, you can subscribe to music versus going out and purchasing it. Now you can still purchase music. You can still go out and buy the digital artifact. You can go buy a, you can still buy a record and like an actual vinyl record or a CD. But the, the idea here is that with streaming, we got into more of a subscription model. And so for me, I think of micro credentials as having their Napster moment insofar as we are, we are realizing that the discrete purchase, if you will, of a credential at a given moment in time is and I would question if it ever really was representative of what we really have or need. Lifelong learning has always been a thing. But instead of just getting a credential and that's it, buying an album and that's it, now I am subscribing to stream my education. And micro-credentials are one of those ways in which we will 
continue to upgrade, reskill, and upskill ourselves throughout our lives. Incredible. I love the, the analogy and comparison. And those that are in digital marketing now and advertising, our industry's changing and shifting so much. Facebook ads and TikTok and Reddit, you name it. So yeah. when people are looking to get upskilled, and I, I heard you use that term, what does that mean today, upskilling for employees? Well, upskilling is important because it means that you know, you've got a baseline of what you have learned and you need to learn something else. You might want to do a new job. You might want to progress in your career or take on additional responsibilities. You know, upskilling is, is basically walking up that staircase or climbing that ladder and saying, okay, I know this. Whereas before, maybe my degree or my diploma was the ceiling of my education. Now that's the floor. And if I want to keep progressing, if I just want to learn something interesting and new, I'm going to upskill and learn new skills. I like that description, I think. And again, with all respect, I went to University of Victoria. I have a 15-year-old and I, and I encourage him and I hope one day he'll go to a post-secondary institution. But that is the new floor. I like that you describe it. It's not the ceiling. For sure. And, you know, and it's, it's also the case, and specifically around micro-credentials. You know, we're relatively new to micro-credentials. They've been around for a long time. But like Napster, which, you know, first had its impact in the late 90s, you know, fast forward 20 years, how many people do you know actually buy musical artifacts, right? Like collectors do. Oh, I want that vinyl because, you know, it sounds better on vinyl. But most people stream music. And I think that's where we're headed with micro-credentials, which is they're, they're becoming increasingly legitimate ways of recognizing the things that I have learned and the competencies that I possess. And as, a, as somebody who does you know, human-centered design, I always think about rendering tacit knowledge explicit. And micro-credentials are really good at that. They're really good at saying, you have learned this thing, and now you can do this with it. So this skill or this competency. And you know where we're headed, though, is how do those micro-credentials now bundle up into macro-credentials? We're on that middle ground, the meso space, I guess, if you will. And we're, we're figuring out as education systems, what is the role of micro-credentials? They've been around for a long time, but now they're becoming more formal. And in particular, in Ontario, we now have micro-credentials as being eligible for student loans which is a real game changer. I took student loans for my undergraduate degree. It was absolutely fantastic to have that as an option for me to be able to obtain an undergraduate degree. But at the time, you could only get a student loan if you were going to school full-time. And that's fantastic, great. Going to school full-time is amazing. I recommend it to everybody. But if you are looking to reskill, upskill, you're a new immigrant, you're a working parent, you're doing elder care, you just simply can't afford to go to school full-time. Having micro-credentials as being eligible for student loans is a, is a game-changer for access to education. And so you're saying it's in Ontario. Are you aware of any other provinces that have embraced that yet? I'm not aware of other provinces okay. that do this. I know that they're, so, uh, the BC government has uh, yeah. started to develop a robust micro-credential framework, which is great. Uh, the Saskatchewan government has uh, followed suit as well, which is good. Ontario just happens to be the jurisdiction that is is the most advanced in Canada on this. And it predates my time at eCampus Ontario. There are, there are folks working here since about 2017, developing frameworks, funding pilots, you know, driving the thought leadership on what are these things called micro-credentials? How can we leverage them? And what do they mean ultimately to learners and their progression into their careers and job market? Yeah. 
And on that, I'm aware of like in Ontario and BC and other provinces, there's the work skills training program. And every province calls it different. In BC, it's called work skills BC or something like that. But if you are an employee, the government, the province will cover 60% of upskilling up to 10,000 a year. But this is different when you're talking about if you want to get a new job, you want to break into the job market. Is that correct? Yes. So those programs that you're talking about, I believe that they are... They're from the federal yep. government, yep. like they, they're partnership between federal and provincial. Yep. And they exactly. require the participation of an employer, which is good. Those yes. are great programs. Yes. But yeah. what if you're what if you're not with an employer that's participating in that? Yeah. What if you just want to, yeah. you know what, I want to go and learn how to do podcasting because I heard Darian's podcast and it's awesome and I want to learn how to do that. Yeah. Then yeah. I should be able to go and take a program on that if it's completely different from what I've done today. So, yeah. you know, having a suite of micro-credentials, and currently right now we have a portal with all the OSAP. OSAP is the Ontario Student Assistance Program, student loan. Yeah. So OSAP eligible micro-credentials we list on our portal. I think there's about 1,800 of them. And they're across a variety of industries. So those programs are fantastic. They're really, really good. They're doing a lot of value. But at times, there may be other programs that aren't represented in those program stacks, if you will, that yeah. uh, that I want to go and learn something out over here. And being able to yeah. get a student loan for a part-time work, for a micro-credential is, I, I mean, I just said this, but it, it, it is a game changer for increasing access to education for those who may be left out of education, may be struggling to get back into education or to complete their education, or just they're new to the country and they need to learn something about the context in which they now live. It's incredible. And how do you, and, and you may not have an answer for this, but how do you pick what gets into that called marketplace or the, the, the dashboard of options? So for us, we're, we're not choosing per se. Yep. Like we're yep. the institutions that we support, 53 publicly assisted post-secondary institutions in Ontario. Yeah. So those are our Indigenous institutes, our colleges, and our universities. They are the ones who decide what part of the labour market they want to serve with respect to a micro-credential. For ones that are student loan eligible, and those go through an approval process because they're student loans, they get approved by the Ministry of Colleges and Universities here in Ontario, and then we put them up on the portal for folks to get it. But there's many other micro-credentials out there and when we we did the you know the the MVP version of the portal last year as part of supporting Ontario's micro credential strategy, and what we're now doing is saying to members writ large, okay, we've got the student loan eligible micro credentials up there. That's fantastic. Now let's start listing the rest of them that you've got because there's many many hundreds of them. It's amazing. In the same way, post secondary institutes have a way to kind of grade and evaluate whether the the you know the syllabi or the program is good. And, and it's at the level that should be at a university college degree level. What would you think, you know, micro credentials should have to go through? Or, and currently, there isn't a micro credential filter or grading system. If you can, you know, the magic wand experiment. If you could ma- wave a magic wand and create that filter grading system, accountability system, what would you what would you imagine that would look like? Well, I think that's a great question. But uh, it's a little bit of a wild west out there. Like, there's a lot of actors private and public, who are starting programs, some of them claiming to be micro-credential, some of them not. We offer a micro-credential framework that was co-created by the community here. And it's not a prescriptive framework per se. It is saying that, you know, it should have, your micro-credential should have certain principles. It's a principle document. It should be validated by employer. It should have some testability. It should have competencies that folks will acquire. For ones that are student loan eligible in Ontario, they also need to be less than 12 weeks. So if I had a magic wand, I would say, 
we've got a framework that should be used to validate if a micro-credential checks a bunch of boxes that people can look at and say, okay, that's that's a legitimate offering and it's going to offer me something good uh, as a learner on my, my career trajectory. Whether or not it's adopted wholesale or it continues to be adapted, I mean, these kind of things are, are living documents. But they're, yeah. you know, that's the start. Again, that's the, that's the floor, not the ceiling. And what yeah. that lets us do is say there are standards and there are international standards. The EU has produced some. New Zealand has a fantastic qualifications framework that include micro-credentials, right? Oh, and wow. So again, back to our Napster metaphor, we're coming to terms with the fact that, oh, all music is now streamed. If I'm an artist yeah. and I'm no longer making money on selling a physical thing, yeah. Where's my path to for an artist monetization or supporting? So here I'm gonna throw this argument at you. And my son, 15, he you know he's like, why would I go to university college? There's master class. There's all these options. There's YouTube, but then I would argue you go to university college to learn to learn and to meet some of the most fascinating people in the world on campus, right? And, and the, you, know, you join clubs. You, you have the most amazing intellectual, social, you know, whatever spiritual, whatever <laughs> experience you can have. But then the argument then would be, well, for micro-credentialing, the grading system shouldn't be based on your learning to learn. It should be based on, did you get a job out of it or did you get an increase in pay? And if that's so the argument, if that thesis or you know, argument's right, how do you measure that and how can schools start doing that? Well, I think you're right. I think the, the ultimate value on micro-credential is that, first of all, it's meeting a, a defined need in the labor market and people are going to take it, but that they have a demonstrated skill or competency at the end and they have indeed gained employment or employment progression or, as you say, a raise in their current job as a consequence of it. I think those are all useful indicators. Now, those kind of data are difficult to track at scale, but not impossible. And I think the the challenge that we have is, is we have a historical or traditional education model that values how much time somebody has spent in a classroom yes, versus yes. what I have learned. Uh, and so, you know, that's changing with competency-based education and outcomes-based education. You know, we are progressing along the, the continuum. But you mentioned a couple of things that I think are really important. And one is mastery-based education. You know, think about that as an apprenticeship. If you go yep. through an apprenticeship, my first career was as a carpenter. And nice. so I learned, you know, on a job site, basically how to frame a window or to install whatever, a door. Yeah. And so you, you learn as you go. We would call that technically legitimate peripheral participation. That's the technical term for apprenticeship. It's legitimate because it's real. It's peripheral because I'm working around you, the journey person or the master, and I am participating in it. So that's the, the concept of mastery, I think, is really important and is a, is a good application into things like micro-credentials. Like there's a Venn diagram we could draw. Micro-credentials, digital by design education, so some online, some not, and work-integrated learning and the, the role of that legitimate peripheral participation. But I want to come back really quickly to something about the standards and how do we know somebody who has developed a piece of education is a good good piece of education, et cetera. And, and ultimately, yes, somebody taking the program, getting a job, getting a raise, whatever, is going to prove it out. And you also mentioned the idea that you know, you're going to college or university or an indigenous institute for a broader context of learning. You're going to learn to learn and you're going to learn about society and culture while you're there. 
But the complicating factor that you threw into that is that there's many people offering micro-credentials. So Google is always yeah. advertising stuff for yeah. IT-related skills. I see them all the time on newspapers and digital ads and that kind of thing. And that's all great. Like I, I fully support the private sector participation in education, particularly in a country like Canada, where the private sector investment in continued education, that I think is about half of what the OECD average is. Uh, so it's really important to do that. But how do I know if I learn something at Google Academy that that micro-credential is going to be fungible in another place? So let's say I go to work for Company X over here. Company X has X university, and I can take all my micro-credentials. They tell me, you don't need a college degree or a university mm -hmm. uh, diploma, Robert. You could just come in and take our Company X micro-credentials. Okay, that's great. So what happens when I want to leave and go to Company Y? Or maybe Company X goes out of business. Or, you know, whatever, I just, I want to go and do something else. Does company Y or you or anybody else recognize company X's micro-credentials? So the yeah. value of post-secondary education, I'm a big proponent, obviously, of yeah. public post-secondary education. The value is, is we are producing a credential that is fungible across many and multiple markets. Yeah. And that might not be the case for those that are offered by other actors who are maybe not doing something according to a standard or, or whatever. It's not to say that they can't. It's just that when we are offering those credentials, I've got this degree or that diploma from this college or this university. When I'm applying for a job with you, you could say, oh, okay, that's got brand recognition. And that brand recognition, I think, is really important for supporting why standards and quality matters. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbirds styles. Meet the Super Light Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Super Light Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So what can you do in a super light shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com. Code SUPER24. And when it comes to job recognition, when you've kind of gone out to the, the marketplace or the demand side of education, uh, what are you hearing in Ontario? What, what skills are people looking for? What have you been working on in this last while with eCampus Ontario? Uh, great question. Technical skills obviously are in demand, but human skills are also in demand. We need to be able to communicate effectively. We need to be able to translate ideas we need to be able to plan and execute against plans. You know, we've all heard that, you know, jobs are going to be rendered null because of AI, let's say, or machine learning. And many will. Driverless cars may obviate the need to have people driving transport vehicles. You know, that might even happen in our lifetime. Who knows? The point is that there's, I think, a combination of technical skills and technical skills are usually directly related to a particular job. So we talked about Google earlier. They're doing IT-related full-stack developer skills, let's say. But what about project management? What about product development? And what about design? And to me, I spent a lot of time thinking about design because the Design Management Institute produced some research several years ago that showed that design-focused companies outperformed the S&P 500 index by over 200%. And that's wow. really important. 
right? So if you think about Apple, Apple's like the most capitalized company on the planet because they have taken design to a whole new level. Yes, they own some patents, but their real value of what they've done is taken a whole bunch of technologies and they've put it into a really well thought through designed user experience and with a good user interface. And they have enabled new things to happen as a result. And those kind of things are, I think, are difficult, if not impossible to automate at this time, which is the ability to to think through product development, product design, and enact that and bring that to, to fruition. That's amazing. And, and for you, kind of, is there a way to look forward? Like, is there stuff that you can share that you're, you know, trends that you're following or something that's kind of on the back burner? I know you can't give away any sort of secrets or, you know, you don't want to launch anything too early, but is there anything that you're like, man, I'm really excited about this next trend or what we're working on this fall or, or spring? Oh, for sure. Yeah, we're working on a ton of really uh, great stuff with our our members in support of the Ontario system. And I would kind of put that under, so we think about the digital campus. What does the digital campus of the future look like? And what's the process of digital transformation to get us there? And let's think about March 1st, 2020. On that day, healthcare took 41% of program spending in this province. Yeah. Now let's go forward a month to April 1st, 2020, and we found out that wasn't enough. And so mm. in that environment, severely financially constrained environment that we are right now with healthcare where it is, where are we going to get resources to provide better and more supports for students? Mm. We think that we're going to be able to get there by helping to enact the digital campus, foster increased innovation and collaboration across the ecosystem, and by helping to foster more and better digital by design experiences that, for example, are going to increase the porosity of the college, university, and Indigenous Institute system and help create better partnerships with employers, be them in the public or the private sector. So when I look to the fall, I look at some really exciting things that we've got underway to put in place platforms and programs that are specifically designed to encourage increased collaboration that give students work-integrated learning experiences while helping to address big challenges in municipalities and in businesses. Amazing. And on the flip side, I'd love your take on this, the term edutainment, right? So you know, Malcolm Gladwell and Margaret Atwood and others have invested their time and, and you know, voice and face to uh, masterclass. And it was, you know, pre-COVID, it was quite popular. And then once COVID hit, it, it really ramped up. What are your thoughts on things like masterclass and other edutainment sources? Well, I think masterclass is fantastic. Like I think the ability to get some knowledge space with somebody who is a recognized master in their area is really such a significant opportunity. I know there are many musicians who are doing this as well. Actually, as an aside, I believe Tom Morello, the guitar player for Rage Against the Machine, is doing this. Carlos Santana as well, like some, you know, big A-list type musicians who are who are doing this as well. On the one hand, you know, this is the natural extension of what we talked about, micro-credentials having their Napster moment, right? The, you know, these are, in this case, musicians who are finding different monetization routes. But I think Masterclass is exposing the world to the idea that you can learn from somebody who's a recognized leader in ways that are going to help you acquire the kind of competencies or skills or just, you know, to fill an interest 
gap that you have. And I guess I would say one thing, the term edutainment has previously been a pejorative term. People have scoffed at it. Oh, you know, it's just edutainment. But I think that there's enough people who understand now that, you know, we must both delight and instruct. And we have to be able to provide some form of engagement, entertainment, while people are learning. The pop culture way to say that is a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. Like, I like that you're using the term edutainment, uh, frankly, because it explicitly recognizes the connection between the frisson of joy that I have about learning something with the idea that I can do something with somebody who knows. Like learning from you about podcasting, for example. It's like, wow, this is great. I, you know, I've got some time with a master to, to understand like how best to do this. So I, I think it's a fantastic phenomenon. And the Masterclass series is great. Yeah, no, it's, it's amazing. And then, you know, you can look at TED Talks. Yeah, and they made them very digestible. You can get them on your Apple TV. You can get them on your, you know, whatever streaming device you have. And you can get a micro moment learning. Right? Yeah. I, I am at, or a micro mentoring moment, even, you could call it. That's a really great phrase, micro learning. Like we look on micro learning as the journey and a micro credential is the destination. And in many respects, the, you know, those... Like you're right, the how do we ins- how do we leverage the limited amount of time people have in order to maximize engagement and interest, especially for things that matter, decolonization, equity, yeah. diversity and inclusion in our in our society, scientific literacy, the ability to be an innovative person, innovation literacy, name the topic that is important yeah. socially and culturally. And yeah. and that's a great way. Like the, the TED Talks are fantastic for that. Yeah. Yeah. And I love you know, during COVID, you know, speaking of, you know, awareness and, and equity and learning, you know, Dan Levy starred in this show called Shit's Creek. But I, I knew him again. I'm going to age myself. I knew him as the after show host of The Hills on when Canada had MTV for a short season. But Dan Levy went and did a show with his you know, his sister and his dad. And, and he promoted on Instagram and, and all over saying, hey, University of Alberta has this amazing micro learning program that's free about learning about indigenous people and indigenous culture. Yes. And, and it just, it was amazing, the response and, and you know, to him using his platform for that. And, and with that, the, the awareness and the education was, was well embraced. Yeah, that's a great program. Uh, that University of Alberta program is, is, is really, really well done and, and really well subscribed. And it's great that, that Dan Levy helped to, to publicize that because it's the kind of thing that we all need to, to learn about that we like the requirement for everybody, every citizen of this country, of the world, I would argue, has to do the emotional labor about decolonization and what that means to making a just and equitable society. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was, okay, you didn't have to talk to a registrar. You didn't have to apply. You didn't have to pay, you know, thousands of dollars. You didn't have to go through a long waiting. It was really cool. that, And it was just a great example of micro learning, helping people. Yeah. Jumping on that note, when you talk to post-secondary institutes, you have an amazing relationship in Ontario. If there's folks, there's, there's a lot of professors actually that use this show within their class. So there's a lot of profs listening to this, deans possibly. Those that are concerned about micro-credentials or scared of micro-credentials or think that they're competition for some reason, how do you assure them? And maybe we talk about what you're doing in Ontario right now. For sure. I, I think it's a, it's a valid concern because the, 
the idea that I mean, it said you know we always go forward through the rearview mirror, and it's yeah. and it's easier in retrospect to see what has happened and then to adjust to it. But micro credentials are forcing us more now and forward looking in a way. And it is also the case that they are putting pressure on the post secondary environment to adapt. And uh, you know, the earlier we talked about you know my my personal belief that you know post secondary education institution has you know, an incredibly valuable artifact in its credential because it's fungible across multiple markets. But if we do nothing about micro-credentials, then I fear that that value may be diminished because the fact that there are r- more rapid ways to acquire skills and competencies. And, and so I prefer, I guess I would say, those kind of partnership models which help to realize the pace or the rapidity that the private sector is is needing with the that kind of post-secondary quality assurance framework. But it is change, and change is difficult and scary, particularly if you're in a type of an organization that you know certainly adapts with the times, but has five or six hundred year old business model. Like it's it's a challenge to to start thinking about different ways when your entire enterprise is built around a, a certain certain way. It's very difficult. It's not impossible, but it's it's difficult. And there are many who are doing this well. There are many colleges and universities who have embraced col- uh, micro credentials here in Ontario and elsewhere, who are looking at these as valuable and valid ways of engaging their learners and their learner communities. And in active ways, investigating how they interact with and don't challenge, but enhance the credential status quo, if you will. So by that, I mean, they're stackable. I can collect my micro credentials and I can assemble them into something that counts towards something else. And maybe that's the hope of, you know, see it as the Lego bricks and maybe they can still embrace post-secondary as as a place to help add more bricks to their, their creation. Yeah. Great analogy. I love the Lego analogy. It's, you know, like the, like right now we've got, I can go choose my program and I need to get, you know, five yellow bricks for my program and maybe a couple of green ones and a blue one. But what if a red yellow brick comes along and that's not part of any program, but it's about what's happening right now. What's the way in which I can account for that? And here's a really good example of, and you asked about what we're doing in the fall and, and, you know, specifically we're, we're looking to support more innovation, more collaboration, and more education yeah. through partnerships and work integrated learning. They're all focused on what we call innovation literacy and encouraging a better response as a country towards supporting innovation writ large across the society, culture, economy. Part of that is intellectual property literacy. And we work very closely with the IP Ontario, which is a new organization to support IP literacy, which is a core component of that. And they are launching this program, which we are helping to support that all students, actually everybody really in Ontario will be able to take. But imagine a world, for instance, in which every, let's say every graduate student at every college, university or an Indigenous institute is able to take this program on advanced intellectual property curriculum and have that count towards their degree. That would be amazing. It would be amazing, not just for for helping to support the general innovation literacy of the population, but for creating more folks who are getting out there, starting businesses, starting not-for-profits, and understanding like what's IP and how do I protect it. You have an interesting role where maybe two groups or two thought patterns, or I'd like that you said two business models that maybe 
have been separate, but you're finding the bridge. You're finding the the connection points between those two. We're trying to. Uh, we we look on on our role as providing those platforms and programs and services that are enhancing that collaboration and that cooperation. There are many doing it. Many folks are doing it. We're just trying to add our voice to it. If it was already done, we wouldn't have to do it. But yeah. you know, we I'll give you a great example in the in 2020 when the pandemic first hit, I was working with the city of Toronto and the eight colleges and universities here in yeah. the greater Toronto area to find ways to collaboratively address urgent challenges that the city of Toronto was having mm. through the combined research expertise of these eight higher education institutions. And these were everything from how to support reuse of N95 masks to how do we support equity and diversity and housing policy versus the office of the future. And one was even innovations and tax filing because, you know, that's important when uh, people are all remote. So this was in many respects, you know, a big experiment for us. And it is out of this, that work that now almost three years later, we're on our third round of projects with the city of Toronto. We've done the same with the city of Richmond Hill, which is to how can we work and provide a platform where in this case, the city of Toronto can say, like there's eight higher education institutions. We need one point of contact to surface an idea. We need one contract. We need one agreement. Let's try and find a way to get these things rapidly underway. And the real icing on the cake here is not only were we successful at doing that, did eight projects the first year, I think 22 or so projects in the in the second round. But, you know, these are the professoriate and our colleges and universities who are applying their world leading expertise while engaging their students in work integrated learning experiences to learn as they do it to address the urgent challenges faced by the municipality of Toronto. Wow. And you mentioned New Zealand earlier and, and other people. That, who would you look to who are maybe like, is there people that you can look up to? And is there peers that are doing what you're doing? Oh, for sure. Well, New Zealand on micro-credentials, for sure. And New Zealand okay. and Australia, Singapore is okay. pretty good. There's a lot of good things happening in the European Union. But here in Canada, we look to BC Campus, which is basically your backyard, who's doing some amazing work on supporting open educational resources and zero-cost yeah. textbooks to reduce yeah. costs for, for students, providing you know equity and diversity and decolonization training for the professoriate to seminars on technology-enabled learning. And we're in a really important moment coming out of the, the first two years of this pandemic and now emerging into you know, whatever the new normal looks like. We have a high vac- highly vaccinated population. We've got good, good response from a public policy perspective. But we've pivoted from you know, March to April 2020 when maybe 10 or 15% of people in the post-secondary education world taught online to a world in which 100% of people had to teach online. And that rapid emergence into what we call emergency remote teaching, you know, caused some, you know, some, well, obviously it was, it was difficult and a lot of people worked really hard. A lot of professionals who, who helped support learning and other functions of government and healthcare business in general. But now we're coming to the point where we're, we're able to say, okay, we did the pivot to emergency remote learning. What does the new normal look like? And that's where the digital campus comes in. And we say, okay, what did we learn from that that we want to keep? Where is it useful for us to continue to offer digital first options for learning? And micro-credentials are one of those. It's incredible. Incredible. Um, Where can people find you? Where can they learn more about eCampus Ontario and the work you're doing? I would encourage them to go to our website, 
ecampusontario.ca and have a look around the, the many links that we have there. We offer a lot of programs, a lot of supports, largest open library in the country. We've got a great program for teaching folks how to teach online called Ontario Extend. It's a micro-credential program. Nice. And if you complete this program, those micro-credentials give you advanced standing in a certificate for post-secondary education at uh, Conestoga College, for example, which is a postgraduate certificate. Yeah. We've got research reports, including one we did with the Diversity Institute and the Future Skills Center on the role of micro-credentials. And you can learn a lot about the framework for micro-credentials that we have and all of the different programs that we offer. Incredible. This is amazing. Thank you so much for being here. I'm so thrilled to continue to watch what you're building and growing and nurturing uh, relationally in the great province of Ontario. Uh, well, thank you, Darian. We really appreciate the opportunity to chat with you and uh, by extension, your uh, your many listeners. This has been a, a fantastic conversation and, and it's really good to, to meet you as well and to learn more about the work that you are doing in this space. Everyone, this was uh, Dr. Robert Luke, eCampus Ontario. Thank you for joining us this episode on Marketing News Canada, and we'll see you next time on the show. Thanks for listening to Marketing News Canada. For more episodes and other great stories from Canadian marketers, visit marketingnewscanada.com. All episodes are recorded in the Jelly Marketing Studio, thanks to our producer, Chris Penner, and editors, Travis Jeffers and The Podfather. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%.